Thanks, Abby, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bethany this morning as we worship together. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us here in the sanctuary, also online, some of you. And we'll take a moment now and pray as we consider this post-Easter story and really a theme as we've continued a series on time. This is a time for restoration and forgiveness. So join me in prayer. Father, we'd like to thank you that we're granted the privilege of gathering here uh, within these walls in freedom. We're mindful, Father, that even in our freedom, many times in the last months, people have uh, suffered violence in places of worship. We pray for those uh, grieving from shootings in San Diego yesterday in, in synagogue. We're mindful in our own city, Father, of people grieving because of the crane and the uh, uh, attendant death and destruction around that. And Father, we are mindful in all of this that you've called us to be people of hope and yet we don't always feel worthy uh, to be messengers of that hope. So I pray that you'd speak to us this morning and encourage our hearts toward the end that we might have the confidence to shine as light. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, many of you probably aren't rock climbers, but if you are a rock climber, you know that um, New Hampshire is a place of granite. Yosemite is a place of granite. Granite is solid. Granite is dependable. Granite is good rock. In contrast to that is the Cascades. Cascades are old and crumbly. This was uh, evident to me years ago when a friend of mine was rappelling off the top of Sauk Mountain, some of you know it, up in the North Cascades Highway. And he, so he was rappelling down and uh, he m made his uh, departure from the rock and when he landed on this little ledge, it just exploded and disappeared and fell to the bottom. And some of us were down there on the bottom and we got out of the way, thankfully, but we were like this, nope, we're never climbing there, ever. Because you, here's a, this is kind of an axiom in climbing, don't trust crumbly rock. Makes sense, right? Don't trust crumbly rock. And, and so this morning, what's significant is this, uh, Peter crumbles. And, and when Peter crumbles, he sees himself as crumbly rock. His name, Peter, means the rock. He sees himself now as crumbly rock. And so... Uh, he doubts his trustworthiness and he self-selects out of God's story. And I love this story uh, because all of us in the room are crumbly rock. Every one of us. Every one of us have doubted. Every one of us have, have failed. Every one of us have at various moments in our own ways, known and unknown, betrayed Christ. And the biggest problem isn't the betrayal of Christ or the failure. The biggest problem is now our self-identification as crumbly rock causes us to self-select out of God's story. And this is a story where God is saying to you and I, listen, are you crumbly rock? Good, fine. I, I use crumbly rock. And I'll use you. And I'll transform that rock into granite. So this is what we want to see this morning. Very appropriate, I think, for all of us in the room if we've ever doubted or failed Christ, which could be many of us. I think, in, in various ways. So, uh, we want to look this morning at the, at the context, Peter's situation, and then Jesus' plan for restoration, and then Jesus' prophecy regarding Peter's future. Each one of these offering a word of hope for all of us in the room. Peter's problem is evident in verse 3 
uh, of chapter 21 and verse 20, and the last verse, verse 21 or so of uh, chapter 21. So in verse 3, uh, Simon Peter says to his, uh, his fellow disciples, uh, in the wake of Jesus' crucifixion, he says, I'm going fishing. I failed, like I failed Jesus, I'm out, I'm done, I'm going fishing. So the, the, the first thing I'm going to see here for Peter is this. In the last few days, uh, Peter's been in a state of total, total upheaval. Jesus had predicted that under pressure, all the disciples would abandon Christ. Peter responded to this with a sort of bravado uh, that we all default to sometimes. Kind of this, I'm going to present myself as the best version of myself, kind of this fake it till you make it kind of idea. We might, we might really believe that we're amazing and faithful and courageous, or we might have been taught to just put on the, the brave face. Either way, when Jesus says to the uh, disciples, you're all going to abandon me, Peter says, not me, I'm in. I'm all in, all the way. I'll die for you, right? And then, of course, you, if you know the story, you know what happens. Jesus is arrested, and uh, Peter follows Jesus to this outer courtyard where there's a trial going on. And then in Matthew 26, you can read it sometime, verses 69 to 75, uh, three times people approach Peter and say, hey, your accent, you're, you're, you're from Nazareth, you know, you know him. And then a second time, someone says, I saw you with Jesus. He denies it, he denies it. And the third time, it's a young girl who speaks to him and says, yeah, I recognize you. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And this is what you read. He brought down curses and swore, I don't know the man. And then this rooster crows and he remembers Jesus' prediction and he went out and wept bitterly. I said I'd follow Jesus and I didn't. So, so his situation here isn't just his situation. Peter represents every person who's ever made a commitment to Christ or a commitment to take a step of obedience on the path of following Christ and then failed to deliver on faithfulness and obedience. Like, I'm just curious, is there anyone in the room in that situation? Like, would you raise your hand? Yeah? And the rest of you are liars or not listening, one or the other. So we all have failed. And so the problem is not just the failure, it's the shame in the wake of the failure. And this is a big deal. Of course, uh, when, we, when we step out of what God is calling us to do, what we see here is we're left with this vacuum and, and uh, what, what are we going to do now that we're not worthy to do something meaningful? What are we going to do? And this is what we'll see. In the midst of failure or extreme pressure or even boredom, all of us have a place we go, kind of this default zone where we feel comfortable. Our meaning comes from what we do and how we comfort ourselves. So here I'm going to follow Jesus, but now I fail. So, I, okay, I'm not good enough for that. Wh what is my identity? If I'm not really a disciple, what is my identity? And this is so powerful for me anyway, because we see this. My identity is what I do and how I comfort myself. That becomes my identity. I'm a doctor. I'm an athlete. I'm smart, I'm thin, I'm rich, I'm popular, I'm successful. So I default and I make that my identity. My comfort, what it, well, how do I comfort? I self-medicate with ice cream or television or gambling or porn or scotch. Take your pick. But when I don't feel worthy as a disciple, I default to either or both what I do and what makes me comfortable. So when life gets hard, we go there. What we do 
and self-medicating comforts. So when we're called to these seasons of challenge, uh, the other great temptation we face is a comparison trap. And that's the, the other part of Peter's problem. So the first part of his problem, where does he default in the way of failure? The second part of his problem, when he's called to follow Christ, is he, is he prone to compare his situation with others? And the answer is yes, he compares. So uh, uh, Jesus says to Peter, listen, the day is coming when uh, you're going to be bound and you're going to go somewhere you don't want to go. And then it says that uh, Peter, rather than saying, as he did previously, oh yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, man. I'm all in. Instead of that, he doesn't want to say, I won't follow you. He's not confident enough to say, I will follow you. So this is what he does. He says, what about him? And he looks at another disciple and he goes, hey, if you're telling me I'm going to suffer, I'm willing to suffer if he's going to suffer. And this is called, I call this the comparison trap, Right? So by the end of the chapter, we see Jesus telling Peter these, these days are coming. And, and then Peter says, what about him? Sometimes we think the discontent that's present in our 21st century world is a result of Instagram and Facebook. I hear this all the time. Oh, yeah, social media, man. Uh, we, we go on there and we see all these happy babies and then we go, oh, my life's terrible. Or we see people, you know, traveling in Europe or whatever it is. Listen, this story reminds me that comparing isn't new. It didn't start with Instagram. This is in the human heart, right? So it's been around a long time. Uh, we make each other sad because we have this, this propensity to do this. Take away Instagram. We still find ourselves struggling because comparison is in the human heart. So if we failed, we need to deal with the shame that causes us to self-select out of the game and default to our old identity, and we need to deal with this, these ways in which we self-medicate in destructive ways, and we need to deal with comparison. So, so Jesus is going to address all of this in this beautiful story, which brings us now to Jesus' plan, right? So here's, here's what happens. Peter's failed, and he defaults to what he does best. I'm going to go fishing, because he's a fisherman. So... He goes fishing, and then uh, we pick up the story in uh, uh, John 21. I'm going fishing. They said to him, the disciples, verse 3, we'll come with you. They went out and they got on the boat. They fished all night. They caught nothing. And then when day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Now, first, I just want to talk for a moment here about uh, God's uh, providence and provision, Right? God's providence and provision. Let me explain this. This is a man who denied Jesus, gives every indication of the story that he's self-selected out, he's done. But then when he decides to go back to his old life, in his old life, he meets Jesus there because in the providence of God, Jesus is there. So I'm going to go out fishing because that's what I do well. I go out I'm striking out, and then when I look at the shore, who is there on the shore? The one that I'm trying to run away from. Do you see this story? It's significant. I'm going to do my own thing, and then here's God's perspective. Really? No, you're not. Listen, you want to run from me? Run. Go. Go wherever you want to go, and when you go there, I'll already be there. That's Psalm 139. 
where the uh, psalmist asks a rhetorical question, where can I, God, where can I go and you're not already there? I'm going to, like, I want to be out of your story, God. You're hounding me. You're bothering me. I feel like a failure. I feel guilty. So I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to get lost in the business world. I'm going to get lost in, in uh, the medical world. I'm going to get lost in upward mobility. I'm going to get lost in sexual pleasure. I'm just going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. And here's God. Oh, no, wherever you go, I'll be there and invite you back every single time. And so we come to discover that's so beautiful is that we don't live by our own faithfulness, but by the faithfulness of God. Uh, I was like, uh, after my dad died, I'm kind of taking a vacation from God. I'm mad at God. I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. And I'm off to um, study architecture and build stuff that'll outlast me after, long after I'm dead. There will still be stuff standing. And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of in a direction. If God wants me there, I'm there. And it's there that I, I end up at this retreat and this guy points at me and says, some of you are lonely and some of you are discouraged and some of you don't have a clue what to do with your life. And the guy's pointing right at me. He says, you need to know God. And God is right here right now inviting you to know him. And I was like, really? Where can you go to get away from God? Nowhere. Everywhere you go, God's already, it's so annoying. But I will say it this way, actually annoyingly beautiful, right? Because this is the core of the human condition. We all have identities that ostensibly give our lives meaning and we default, we're going to go back into that identity thinking we're running from God. We're not running from God. We may think we are trying to, but the thing is we can't. And then what we see is uh, God provides God's presence and then not only does God provide God's presence, but God provides fish to the fishermen. And I, this I love. Look at verse 5. So they fished all night. They caught nothing. As dawn is breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples don't yet know that it's Jesus. So it's still, you know how it is. It's dark, and you see a figure on shore, but you don't know who it is. So here's Peter. He's been out all night. I'm going to go back and do the thing I can do, and he strikes out. He doesn't catch any fish. And then the voice, you just hear, you, there's a guy on the shore. You don't know who it is, but this guy says, and I love this, a rhetorical question. Here's Jesus. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? Don't you love that? Like, here's Jesus on the shore, and he asks this kind of rhetorical question, which let me translate for you. It's, it, put it another way. Hey, uh, you guys feel like you failed. Your hopes in the future have been dashed. You're discouraged. So you've decided to do what you do best. You've decided to default to your old identity. I'm just a consumer. I'm, I'm, I'm just an employee. I'm just a manager. I'm just a worker. How's that working for you? Like you're going to just live your life autonomous, cut off from God, amass more stuff. How you doing with that? And I, I would just say that this is the core of the human condition because we all have identities that we believe give our lives comfort or meaning or both. And for Peter and his friends, the meaning and the comfort came from fishing. And so now they're doing what they're quote-unquote good at and they've come up empty. This is, uh, this is perfect, right? Because here's the deal. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. If anyone's in Christ, they become a new creation. And, and there's kind of good news and bad news in that declaration. The good news is this. In Christ now, 
You're hardwired to live your life as a blessing to others. So you, having received all that Christ is, can allow the joy and justice and generosity and hospitality and peace and service of Christ to pour through you. You're made to make a difference in the world. Everybody in the room is. Like you're a new creation, right? That's good news. Here's the bad news, and it's not really bad. It's just painful. The bad news is this. Now that you're a new creation, your old identity and your old methods of self-medicating will never bring you satisfaction the way they once did. You were satisfied with alcohol, you'll never be satisfied again. You were, you were uh, satisfied with nothing more than upward mobility, you'll never be satisfied with that again. So if you're, like, if, if you feel like you failed Jesus and you're like this, well, I'm just going to go back and make six figures, seven figures, build my kingdom. No. You'll never be satisfied there because you have a new identity and that new identity will continue to hound you because that's Christ hounding you. So we may still default to an old identity when we're discouraged, but we'll never be satisfied there because we know we're made for more. So if you default to buying a new toy or you default to pornography or you default to yelling or drinking too much or setting new sales goals, whatever is your default, somewhere down the road, Jesus meets you with a statement, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? Like, how's that working for you? And this is a rhetorical question. The answer is, it's not working. This is in all of our stories. And please don't think that I'm saying that everybody needs to go into vocational ministry. No, not at all. In fact, this happens to us hugely. When I, when I started in ministry, uh, I, was a, I was a music pastor, and very quickly, I questioned my calling. And I was very discouraged with my ministry, and, and uh, so my wife can tell you, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be a city planner. And I, I actually, uh, uh, actually signed up for a city planning master's degree program at, at Fresno State and started taking classes. Now, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do ministry. I'm going to build log homes. I'm going to go back to architecture school. I'm going to get a master's degree in conducting. Uh, you know, I got 10 things. Why? Anything but this. And here's the thing. I'd go down this road and then it's like Jesus on the shore. How's that working for you? It's not that I'm not getting good grades. It's that there's, there's, a, there's a hollowness to it. I know I'm in the wrong path. So the answer isn't this or that. The answer is you are made for something that, that, that is born out of your devotion to Christ and your discipleship. And if you try and run from that, you will never be satisfied. That's this story. So then Jesus makes an invitation to participation with Jesus. How's that working? How you doing catching fish? And they say to Jesus, yeah, you know, it's been a rough night. I haven't caught anything. Jesus tells them to cast a net on the other side of the boat. And when they do, they enjoy this massive catch, which incidentally is... is uh, exactly how Jesus uh, uh, called Peter as a disciple in the first place. If you read Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus is out fishing, and uh, uh, Peter's out fishing. Jesus says to Peter, hey, how'd you do? He says, didn't catch anything all night. And then uh, Jesus says uh, to, to Peter, put the net on the other side of the boat, which I think if you're a fisherman is kind of dumb advice. I'm not sure. But I, I think fish aren't usually, you don't usually win if you just, 
put the net on the other side. Anyway, he puts it, so he does it in Luke 5, and the, the catch is so big it breaks the nets and the boat starts sinking or whatever happens. And, and Peter then he's like, I'm unworthy to follow you, and then he becomes a disciple. So uh, when this happens, and there's this massive catch, now, then Peter knows who it is that said you don't have any fish. He knows it's Jesus. Because who else allows this amazing catch just by putting it on the other side of the boat? So, so Peter immediately jumps in the water, swims to shore. And this, this just cracks me up. Swims to shore. And when he gets there, Jesus already has fish cooking on the fire. Like Jesus had already been fishing before that and caught stuff and breakfast is ready. And then he says, hey, bring some of your fish too. Kind of... Uh, you know how we help little kids think that they're part of something. It's kind of that, hey, yeah, you want to, come on now. I love that piece of art. We'll put it on the, on the refrigerator. It's that kind of thing that's going on here. Like, Jesus doesn't really need us. But then they, so there they are, eating the fish that Jesus provided. And, and then, this is crazy. If I'm Peter, you know, we're eating, and I'm kind of waiting for the ax to fall. Because the biggest problem in all of our hearts isn't our failures ever. The biggest problem is a sense of shame and condemnation and unworthiness that we feel after we have failed because this causes us to pull ourselves out of the game, right? So I got discouraged uh, and then I made some bad choices um, and I failed. And now in my sense of failure, I don't feel worthy to return to Christ, so I continue down this path, and in continuing down this path, it, it feeds my sense of unworthiness and condemnation, and I drift away from God, and Peter's at risk of being one of those drifters. So that's the situation. And so if there's anybody in the room here struggling with a sense of unworthiness and shame, I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Uh, so they're sitting there, and I love this. They eat the whole meal... And there's no mention of the elephant in the room, which is Peter's denial. They ate the whole meal. So uh, Peter promised to remain faithful, and he failed. And they're, and they're sitting there eating. And if I'm Peter, I'm like, okay, when is it going to happen? When is Jesus going to say, uh, hey, uh, Peter, let, can I remind you what you said? You said you'd be faithful. You denied me. You didn't deny, hey, Peter, you didn't know me once. You know, three times. Oh, and you didn't deny me just to powerful soldiers. You, you, you denied me to uh, uh, a, a young woman who, who was at the door. She wasn't a bouncer. She was a teenager. And you, and you swore and said you never knew me. What's, hey, Peter, what's that about? Listen, uh, when I build my team... You know, one of our values is faithfulness, and you don't match up to our values, so uh, we're going to have to kind of rethink here your position, and I'm sorry, but uh, go to the back of the line, and maybe someday, if you work hard enough, pray hard enough, give enough, serve on a few meaningless committees, maybe then again, uh, you, you know, you'll have, you'll have a role in my story. I mean, I, that's what I would expect. I'm going to be shamed in front of my friends. I'm going to be fired. And like if Jesus liked to play gotcha <laughs> and publicly hum humiliate people, it's perfect setup. Uh, and maybe this story is meaningful to me because I've known people like that. And if you've been on the receiving end of that kind of thing, or even if you're the one giving it, 
then you're likely waiting to hear from Jesus because that's the way the world works. You name mistakes, you replay the mistake, and you punish. So they eat the whole meal, and Jesus doesn't say anything. And then when he does say something, here's what he says. Imagine, they're just taking their last bite of fish, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, I have a question for you. Do you love me? And the word love here in the Greek language is agape love, which is, hey, uh, Jesus, do you love me faithfully to the end? Would you, would you, and and uh, uh, Peter's response, he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you, but the word that Peter uses is the word phileo, which is a friendship kind of love. So if agape is this, look, uh, this, if agape is granite, phileo is cascade rock. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and uh, Jesus says, do you love me this way? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you this way, that I crumble. You know it. This is powerful. A, I appreciate Peter's honesty. But then, B, I'm blown away by Jesus' response. Here's Jesus. Do you love me this way? Here's Peter. No, I love you this way. Here's Jesus. You're fired. Wrong. <laughs> Here's Jesus. Feed my lambs. You're, hey, you're still in the game. Really? That Jesus said it a second time. Do you agape me? Jesus says, Lord, you know I phileo you. I, I crumbled. Shepherd my sheep, second answer. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Then he asks a third time. And the third time is really interesting. This is what Jesus says. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Phileo. And then Peter's grieved. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that's the only love I have for you. I haven't attained this yet. I, lo I love you, Phileo. And then he says it again. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. What is Peter saying? In front of the disciples, this is what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, I know you failed me. I know that you haven't attained to perfect love yet. I know you in all likelihood fail me again, and he would fail Jesus again. And yet, in spite of your failure, in spite of the fact that you're slow to learn, in spite of the fact that you sin, in spite of the fact that you doubt, in spite of the fact that you deny me, listen, I still am calling you to follow me. Why? Because it was never about your faithfulness. Can I say that loudly? It was never about your faithfulness, your self-discipline, your capacity. No. It's about Christ's faithfulness. Always was. And so sometimes the biggest conviction that comes to us, the most transformative moment, comes from being told that in spite of your failure, you're still loved. This has happened so many times in my life. I broke the window because I was warming up to pitch at a Little League game. And my dad comes in the door, and after a little, little conversation, and I'd locked the door and crawled in bed, and I was weeping and said, yeah, grounded for 20 years, I get it, whatever, I'm done. My dad, he's like this, yep. Let's go. You're pitching. I go, no, I'm not. You hate me, right? And he goes, no, no, we've talked about it. It's done. Um, I still love you. I'm still proud of you. You're still my son. It's, look, I don't love you because you don't break windows. I go to a retreat. 
after an argument with my wife, five-hour plane ride to Detroit and then a drive and then a flight up to Montreal and then a drive up into the woods where I'm doing this men's retreat on marriage and we get an argument driving to the airport. And she said stuff to me and I said stuff to her. And I, she said, don't hurry back, you know. And I said, maybe I won't ever come back. And I shut the door. This is like pre-cell phone days, right? And I'm five hours on the plane and with Satan right here on the shoulder, you worth, like, don't even get off the plane. You have nothing to say. And then, of course, in the providence of God, I speak at this thing about water turning into wine, and I, and I go, you know, somebody in the room at the close, we had this little altar call thing. Somebody in the room, uh, all the blessings dried up in your life. You're feeling dry right now. And you need God to bring a powerful transformation to your heart. And then I opened my eyes, I've been praying, and all these guys are weeping and hugging each other. And I go, man, what just happened? And uh, the director of the retreat comes to, he comes up to me, he says, oh, well, uh, two different churches brought their men's group to this retreat, not knowing the other was there, and there was a church split. There was a bitter church split in Montreal. These guys were really mad at each other. And they're all sitting here in the room. And Richard... God just used you to bring revival. And I was like this, are you kidding me? <laughs> like this is unjust. This should not happen, right? Isn't, isn't, doesn't work this way. Like, you know, obedience, tremendous prayer, you know, great faith, holiness, fruit. Insert your goodness, God uses it. I wrote, I wrote in my journal, God, you shouldn't be doing stuff like this. <laughs> because if you do this when my heart's this way, what motive do I have to follow you? And then, yeah, I was weeping just like that. <laughs> and then God is like this. Hey, Richard, when did you ever think my use of you was predicated on your faithfulness? It's not about you. And can I just encourage you uh, this morning? It's not about you. Not about your faithfulness. Have you failed God? Yeah. Have you doubted? Yeah. Are you discouraged at times? Yeah. Have you defaulted into uh, self-medicating ways that are shameful? Of course. Feed my sheep. Use your gifts. Pick yourself up and follow me. It was never about you. God's dishing out uh, gifts of love not in exchange for our obedience, but in exchange for our empty hands. All we have to do is receive. Did you know that Habakkuk 2 says this? The just shall live by God's faithfulness. And we've translated it often the wrong way. The just shall live by faith. Oh yeah, whip up your faith. Whip up your obedience. Study more. Pray harder. Relax. And receive. And then this brings us to the prophecy that closes the thing. Jesus contrasts Peter's past with his future. He says, hey, uh, in, your old in the past, when you were like Cascade Rock, <laughs> you were a free moral agent. You did what you wanted, when you wanted. But the day is coming when you will be taken where you don't want to go. The day is coming when faithfulness to me will require of you self-denial. And you'll go. You'll follow me. And of course, this is a reference to Peter's future, but it's also a principle. 
because it's true that this new identity that we've been given in Christ carries with it a calling to follow Christ. And if I'm going to follow Christ, hear me, this means I will be led places I don't want to go. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness instead of a, a cushy life as a married guy in the desert. Amos, becoming a prophet instead of a fig farmer. Mary, receiving the life of God instead of being a typical rural uh, married woman in a blue-collar uh, neighborhood. Paul, evangelist, in, uh, to, the, to the Gentiles instead of the Jews that he wanted to serve. Peter, first leader of the church instead of a fisherman. Look, you're going to follow Christ? You're going to go places you don't want to go. You wanted uh, sunshine and you live in Seattle. Ha, there you are. Follow, follow me. You wanted actually to live in the land of green and clean and you had to move to California. Follow me. You wanted married, you're single. Follow me. You wanted massive wealth, small salary. Follow me. You wanted health, cancer. Follow me. You wanted, you wanted 40th anniversary? Widowed. Follow me. Life in Christ entails like this conscious decision to follow Christ. And did I fail in the past? Yes. Did you? Yes. Maybe this week. Did you default to your old methodologies, to your old self-medications? Have you given up hope that God could ever use you? Have you given up hope that there's a better story? Maybe. But here's the thing, you follow me. And, and, and here's the last thing we see. When we're, when we're challenged to follow Christ, so significant, I'm challenged to follow Christ, and I wanna go there, but I also wanna, an old phrase uh, from baby boomers, I also wanna keep up with the Joneses. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'll follow. Wait, wait. Financial security. What about him? Hey, can I know your net worth so that I can know if I, if I can let go here and follow Jesus? I'm going to follow, but what about? I have a word for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Those who compare themselves with themselves, we compare ourselves with one another, are not wise. Don't you love that? Beautifully understated, but so true. We look up the org chart, we wonder why we're not up there. We look at the house across the street, we wonder why we don't live in it. We look at the health of somebody else, we wonder why them. We look at the family of somebody else. Uh, and, and, then, and then we're at risk of crumbling instead of following. You follow me. And there's the thing. After you've crumbled, you can always, always, always return to Christ. Why? Because wherever you've run to, and it's not working there, Christ is already there. So as we uh, uh, close this morning, I'm just going to ask you to consider, if you've crumbled recently, that you just name that this morning in, in a moment of prayer. I've like I defaulted into my old identity or I'm only living for upward mobility or I'm, or I'm self-medicating with alcohol and I'm, I've crumbled. It's okay. But don't self-select out because God has a plan for you. God has a story for you. 
and God wants to use you to change the world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we respond now, you'd speak to our hearts, that we would be people who are fully vested in your story, not because we're worthy, but because you are faithful to us. So I pray now, Father, that you'd give us the courage to face our own hearts and the grace to respond. We pray in Christ's name, amen.